Let's jump back into our study in Genesis before our prayer time tonight. We're in uh, chapter 27, and we're going to look tonight at the subject matter, family struggles and sins. Family struggles and sins. Genesis 27. Uh, Let's go ahead and read the chapter in its entirety. Genesis 27, family struggles and sins. There are no heroes in this chapter, sadly. And I think that'll become evident tonight. It says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see... He called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing." Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. 
Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Folks, it's, uh, it's amazing that we are hardly into the Bible before learning that family can be a messy thing, can it? Family can be a messy thing. I think of Adam and Eve and their sin, and immediately after their sin, what happened? Their son Cain rose up and killed Abel. And then you have the account of Noah and his sons. Noah gets drunk after he gets off of the ark. One of the boys mocks his father. Uh, Abraham and Sarah lie about her being his sister so that they can try and save their own skin. And then there's 
Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and, and that whole narrative. And then Isaac and Esau, with Esau being favored by Isaac and Jacob being favored by Rebekah and the family jealousy that was set up. So on and on we can go with that all through the Bible. We see in Scripture that some very notable families had some skeletons, so to speak, in their closets. Things were not always as you would assume they would be. And you know what, folks? I'm I'm actually glad that that's what we see. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm certainly not glad over sin. We don't rejoice over sin. But we do rejoice at the fact that the biblical characters that we see in the Bible were just like us. They weren't perfect. They had their struggles and their sins and their their messy things that they dealt with. And you know what? By having that recorded for us in the Bible, what does it do for us? It helps us to be able to identify with these characters. Now again, all this should not be a surprise to us. The Bible tells us, after all, that when sin entered the world, sin did not simply affect a few people sin affected the entire human race and it did more than that Romans 8 tells us it affected all of the created order in fact Paul says all of creation is groaning and longing for the day of the redemption of the children of God all of creation was affected by the fall, and so all of creation will likewise take part in redemption. God is going to make all things new, just like the book of Revelation tells us. And so we're to be looking for that new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. But for now, life is messy sometimes, isn't it? Families are messy. And that's what we see here in Genesis 27. Genesis 27 may be, may just be one of the most disappointing chapters in the entire Bible. And I think by the time we're finished tonight, you're going to agree with me in that. There are no heroes in Genesis 27. All four main characters do wrong. And what we will see is that their wrongdoing gave sad indication as to what they thought about God. Their wrongdoing gave sad indication as to what they thought about God. Their actions made a theological statement, we might say. Now, first of all, tonight, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down that Isaac and Esau disregard the word of the Lord. Isaac and Esau disregard the word of the Lord. And I get that from verses 1 to 4. Isaac and Esau disregard the word of the Lord. As the chapter opens, we are told that Isaac was old and that his eyesight was bad. 
Now, Martin Luther calculated Isaac's age to be 137 years. Now, the text reads as though he is about to die, and that's what we're being led to believe. But actually, he lives another 43 years and dies at the age of 180. But there's certainly something truthful that he says. He wants to give the blessing to Esau before he dies, stating, For I do not know when I am going to die. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? We don't know when we're going to die. It may be later than we think. It may be sooner than we think. We don't know. And you know what? I'm glad we don't know. But Isaac's thinking, as many people will do, even if it's years or even decades before they die, because their, their own impending death sooner or later, they try to go ahead and get their house in order. And that's what he's doing here. Now, in this culture, the men would bless their sons. And the blessing was of utmost importance. Oftentimes, we see something very unique in the blessing, and it might contain something that is particular to to that son or that son's character. And oftentimes, we see that whatever was said in the blessing did, in fact, come to pass in that son's life in some way. And so in this culture that we're speaking of, the father's blessing was viewed as being binding. And because it was viewed as being binding, it was something that the sons sought greatly after. They wanted their father's blessing. Now we learn here that Isaac loves the wild game that Esau hunts and kills. As we've already indicated before in our study in Genesis, Esau is an outdoorsman. He could have starred in Duck Dynasty. He's a man's man. He loved the outdoors. He loved hunting. And we've already noted also in a previous lesson how Isaac favored him because he liked to eat of his game. And Rebekah favored Jacob. Jacob was more of a homebody and his mama took a special liking to him. Now folks, it's dangerous when parents' favoritism comes shining through in such obvious ways. Usually trouble always results from that. And who's the most famous case of that in the Bible? Joseph. Because what's Jacob do for Joseph? What's he give him? That coat of many colors that he didn't give to his other sons. And from time to time he'll even have Joseph go out and spy on his brothers. They resent Joseph because they know their father has set his affections on Joseph to a degree higher than what his affections are to them. The actual problem that was the fact that they weren't trustworthy. <laughs> right, that's true. 
<laughs> you know, it, it may be true that you have a favorite, but it's probably not very wise at all if your children are aware of this. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a good place to be if you know that you're not the favored one. I think of a man in our church right now. He told me a story one time about he and his brother and their dad. He knew he was not the favored son. And as he recounted a few stories to me, you could almost hear some hurt and sadness and disappointment in his voice. What's tragic in the first four verses of this chapter is the disregard that both Isaac and Esau have for God's word. Years earlier when Rebekah was pregnant with Jacob and Esau, uh, something was wrong with the pregnancy she thought. Remember that? So what'd she do? She went before the Lord and she's like, Lord, something's going on here. What's wrong? And what the Lord revealed to her? The, the Lord revealed that she had two nations in her womb and the older would serve the younger. Now you can rest assured that Rebecca had told Isaac about this. And she had told Isaac what God had said. Also Esau without a doubt remembers selling his birthright to Jacob. He's not forgotten this. And so when Isaac told him what he was about to do. Integrity and honesty would have demanded that he tell his dad. But he doesn't. And so it's like both Isaac and Esau together are disregarding what's gone before. They're disregarding what's happened. They're disregarding the word of the Lord. You know, it amazes me, uh, the people who will do this, who will set aside God's word. Sometimes even professing Christians... We'll set aside God's Word if it's convenient to do so at the moment. It's like the Word of God doesn't have any impact on them. For example, a, a man will meet with you. I mean, if you're a pastor, most pastors can tell you a story like this. A man will meet with you and tell you he's about to divorce his wife and marry his secretary. And he knows it's sin. He knows it's wrong. But he doesn't care. He's going to do it anyway. I've had women do the same. One woman knew that she and her husband did not have a biblical separation and divorce. But, but she was going through with everything anyway. And she was ready to marry another man. And surprisingly, she wanted my involvement and my blessing with it. To which I refused. Well, Isaac knew what God had said to Rebekah. 
But, it, but it's like that has no impact on him whatsoever. He's being self-governed here. Instead of being governed by God's word, he's being self-governed. And folks, that's dangerous. What's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with what? With all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But acknowledge him in all of your ways and he will direct your path. Folks, when God says something in his word, we need to pay attention. God doesn't speak just to hear himself speak. He says, what he, he says what he means, and he means what he says. When he said the older will serve the younger, that is exactly what he meant. And they would have known at the time what that, that meant. By saying that the older will serve the younger, they would have known that included in that would mean that the younger was to get the preferred blessing from the father. And they would have understood that clearly. And Esau, remember, had despised his birthright earlier. The blessing involved in the birthright had meant nothing to him before. He was willing to give it up for a single meal. A single meal. Not a lifetime of food, but a single meal. Now that tells us what he thought of his birthright. He didn't think too highly of it. But now when it's actually time to receive the blessing of that birthright and receive the benefit of it, what's he acting like now? He's acting like now he's simply got to have it. It's got to be mine. I've got to have it. You know, God's gifts so often mean very little to us until we need them. Until we need them. Here's a man who cares very little about the presence of God in his life. And then the doctor says, you've got two months to live. And all of a sudden, he's got to have God. God, don't leave me now. Where are you, God? Bless me, God. Yet God's never meant anything to him. We have a tragic tendency, just like Isaac and Esau, to pay little attention to God's word, and we don't really crave God's presence and God's blessings. Until we encounter something where we see just how much we need it. And then all of a sudden, we can have a way of acting as though it's the most important thing in life. 
crisis moments reveal if God has really been a part of one's life or not. Crisis moments reveal that. Now, folks, God in His grace may still do a work in us despite ourselves, but the crisis moment reveals oftentimes where God has been in the pecking order in our lives. Secondly tonight, Rebecca and Jacob act as though they need to help God out. Rebecca and Jacob act as though they need to help God out. Immediately as Esau leaves to go hunting, Rebecca gathers Jacob up and tells him what she has just overheard. And she tells him what he needs to go instantly and do. Now, if you've ever gone hunting before, you can certainly understand that Rebecca and Jacob had all the time in the world to pull this scheme off. It's not like Esau is going to get out in the wild and immediately have a kill. I've sat in deer blinds before and literally almost froze myself to death waiting for hours on a deer to come along. And so given the fact that Jacob only has to go out to the flock and and pick a couple of young goats and then Rebecca will kill them and skin them and prepare them, folks, it's, it's no stretch of the imagination at all. They've got plenty of time to pull this scheme off. Time Esau finally gets the kill, he's going he's gonna to have to come home and skin his and prepare it too. And so again, Jacob and, and Rebekah have plenty of time to do what they're planning to do here. But their sin is in thinking that they need to help God out. Poor God, he needs our help. He can't bless Jacob on his own. If I don't do something to intervene, God's plan to bless the younger is going to come crashing down around God's feet. He means well, but he just needs my help. I need to come to God's rescue so that he can carry out his plan the way he wants to carry out his plan. Or another way to look at this. They believed that unrighteous acts were appropriate and good if their unrighteous acts in the long run aided the work of God. In today's world, some people wrongly imagine that questionable ethics are okay if it ultimately accomplishes good and there are people who actually think that way Griffith Thomas once said righteousness can never be laid aside even though our object is yet more righteous Now, folks, if you stop to consider what all is going on in this chapter, 
it, it's sad on both counts, on both fronts. It's sad. Here's Isaac and Esau. They're disregarding God's word, what God had said at the birth of Esau and Jacob. They're disregarding that. And here's Rebekah and Jacob thinking they've got to secure God's blessing for Jacob even though God has already said he'll give it. And so you know what we're faced with on both counts here? What we're faced with on both counts is a faulty view of God. A faulty view of God. Folks, even today we desperately need a biblical vision of God. Amen? A biblical vision of God. If we do not have a biblical vision of God, then we're going to end up developing our own ideas of who God is and what He's capable of doing. And we're always going to get it wrong. We're going to end up idolaters in our own ways if we don't allow the Bible to shape our view of God. God is omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He's omniscient, and God is independent. The word theologians use to describe that is the aseity of God, A-S-E-I-T-Y. The aseity of God. What does that mean? It means that God is independent. Meaning he is not dependent on us for anything. And we do not complete God. Here they're thinking they need to complete God's plan. If they don't complete God's plan, God's going to come up with short end of the stick. God's plan's not going to be carried through. So they need to help God complete that. That is such faulty thinking about the person and the character of God. How many times, kind of on a side note, not the exact same thing obviously, but on a side note, how many times have you ever heard somebody say something like, God needed to create man because he needed somebody to fellowship with. Communion communion within the Godhead was perfect. Communion within the Trinity was perfect. God doesn't need our fellowship. In his grace he allows it. And he invites us into it, but he doesn't need it to complete himself in some way. Folks, I know it strikes at human pride in what we might think about ourselves, but God really doesn't need us. Remember even the time when Jesus said to the Pharisees, God can raise up children out of these stones. 
If somebody thinks that God needs them to help him out, then what kind of vision does that person have about God? They don't have a very good vision, do they? They don't have a biblical vision. Now, I know this is a side tangent in a way, but, but think with me about sometimes what we even do in worship. In worship, we're driven by consumerism and the felt needs of man. But in God-exalting worship, when our vision of God is correct, God alters every area of life. As long as we target man, we're never satisfied. But when we target God, God will then satisfy every longing. You say, what's that have to do with tonight? I I just want you to see, when we don't view God correctly, every area of our life and our worship will be wrong. Rebecca and Jacob should have known that God is true to himself and true to his word. If he has declared something, he will bring it to pass. They didn't need to scheme. They didn't need to lie. They didn't need to concoct this plan. They didn't need to come up with this ruse to try to to end up tricking Isaac. And Jacob ends up lying to his dad about who he is. And, And notice that Jacob even uses God in the lie. When he says, son, how did you get to me so fast? God, your God gave me great success. He not only lies, but he uses God in the lie. And and so they're, they're even bringing the name of God into their sorry scheme. Now, I know that from verse 34 onward, you might be tempted to feel sorry for Esau. Don't. Don't. The book of Hebrews points out that Esau was immoral. He was godless. And that for a single meal... Again, a single meal, he sold his birthright. He thought so little of his birthright, he gave it all up for a single meal. So don't feel sorry for him. He got what he deserved. Somebody who thought that little of it would not have been a worthy steward of it had he gotten it. He didn't love God. He didn't love the things of God. He only loved the self-seeking things that he could get out of it. That's what he loved. And then in verse 41 we see that, that he was biding his time so that he could kill his brother after his dad died. So he's not a nice guy. Plus, already, at the end of chapter 26, what are we told that Esau had done? He married Hittite women. 
Now, even though the command to marry outside of Israel was yet to come, Esau should have known not to marry Hittite women who would have served other gods. He should have known better. And so the biblical witness of Esau is consistent. It's consistently bad. So don't feel sorry for him. Now, before we close tonight, I want you to understand something that, that's really a commentary on Romans 8.28 too. What's Romans 8.28 say? That in all things, God works together for the good of those who know Him. In all things, or God works together in all things for the good of those who love Him, the called according to His purpose. We're going we're gonna to see that play out here. Because through Esau's plan to kill Jacob, what do they do with Jacob? They send him away. They send him away to Laban. Now, the trickster's going to end up getting tricked himself by Laban. Laban gives him a lesson in trickery, right? But, under Laban's household, he's going to marry Leah and Rachel. And what's going to come out of the marriage bonds there? The 12 tribes of Israel. And then ultimately, what comes, humanly speaking, from from the Jews, the bloodline of Jews, what ultimately does God bring to pass? The Messiah. Exactly. And so what I want you to see in closing is that despite the failings of this family, God's purposes march on. God accomplishes His purposes through these flawed human agents. Folks, that's amazing. Our sin, our failings don't keep God from doing what God decrees to do. God is greater than our sin. And so in closing, what I want you to see is the bigness of God, the the greatness of God, the glory of God. I want to give you some quick lessons. Lesson number one, don't set aside the Word of God as it applies to your life. Don't set aside the Word of God as it applies to your life. God gives His Word to change us, to transform us. Don't think that you can just conveniently set aside what He has said and then go and do your own thing. There's going to be consequences if you do. Secondly, 
Don't think for a moment that you have to help God be God. God will bring his purposes to pass even without you and without me. Again, that's not to say that he doesn't use us. He does. But you and I are not um, indispensable. God's plans, God's purposes march on. Thirdly, don't start thinking that questionable methods justify the end result. They don't because God is a holy God. And then lastly, ask God to help you see from His Word how to have a biblical view of God. We need to see God as He really is. And we turn to His Word to find that out. And folks, if we can, if we can have a biblical vision of God and see God for who He is as He's revealed Himself in His Word, you know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean that you and I don't have to pace the floor at night. Right? If we see God for who He is, we don't have to pace the floor at night. We don't have to worry. He's got the whole world in His hands. Amen?